entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who seek excellence. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Here's Marty Wolf. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builders Show, which is a production of Business Builders Media. You can get all our shows and podcasts from more great podcasters at businessbuildersmedia.com, where we give entrepreneurs and business leaders the tools they need to have their voices heard. That's businessbuildersmedia.com. My special guest with me today is Alex Lazaro. Alex, welcome to the show, man. Marty, thanks so much for having me. Well, let's start this way, Alex. I first heard of you, Alex Lazaro, in the July-August edition of Entrepreneur Magazine. And of course, you know, Alex, you were interviewed by Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of the magazine. And I found that that, uh, interview fascinating. So I did exactly what Alex would want me to do. I bought his book. (laughs) And I read it. And then I invited him to join us on the Business Builder Show. So again, Alex, welcome. I want to give everybody the title of your book. It is Out Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit are Rewriting the Rules of Silicon Valley. So that's the title of the book. Allow me to do a brief introduction for Alex. Alex Lazaro is a venture capitalist specializing in global innovation and impact. He presently works with the global investment firm Cathay Innovation. Alex is a Kaufman Fellow, Council on Foreign Relations team member, term member, excuse me, and an adjunct professor at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. Alex is a graduate of Harvard Business School and the University of Manitoba. Alex, this, we have a lot to talk about. It's a fantastic book. We can't possibly cover everything. So I thought that we would talk about uh, the 10 elements of what you call frontier elv- innovators, frontier innovators. So, Alex, maybe we should start this way. What's the definition of frontier <laughs> innovators? Yeah. Go, Alex. You're up now. <laughs> no, well, let me first tell you why I wrote the book, because it will explain – who are these frontier innovators, where they're building, and what they're doing. So in my day job, I have one foot living in the Bay Area, uh, but another investing in startups and supporting entrepreneurs around the world. And outside of work, I've been teaching entrepreneurship. And a lot of my students are you know, like me. I, I grew up in the middle of Canada um, in an ecosystem that looks totally different than the Valley, or many of my students are moving to emerging markets to start their business. And in each case, I always wanted to assign um, the students I was working with readings or share best practice with the entrepreneurs I was partnering with, but I invariably always felt like I had to contextualize what I was sharing with them because everything that was available as startup best practice was really rooted in its time and place, Silicon Valley and today. And for a very particular type of asset light software-based startup that wants to grow extraordinarily fast. And yet around the world, context looks different. Ecosystems have less capital, less resources, less depth of trained startup human capital, 
or face more macroeconomic shocks. And I believe that around the world, the best entrepreneurs operating in places like Winnipeg or Chicago or Amsterdam or Bangalore have more in common with the best entrepreneurs in Sao Paulo than they do with those in San Francisco. And yet no one is telling their stories. And so that was the reason I wrote the book. It was to tell the stories of these entrepreneurs and how not only they are challenging conventionalisms, they are reinventing startup best practices in meaningful ways. So to your question of what is the frontier, it is these emerging set of startup ecosystems around the world that look different than the, than the Valley. And it's the stories of these innovators that are, that are the, the main characters um, outside the Valley. Yeah, and, and I love the book because of its global viewpoint of um, interesting stories from all over the world. And there's so many fascinating stories in it. Um, that was really attracted me to it. And then obviously, as you've already explained, the Silicon Valley methodology process doesn't maybe doesn't work as well as it used to and things are changing and so that's why you wrote the book so let's get to these and and, and we're going to explain the book folks um this way by talking about the tell them 10 elements of frontier innovators and the first thing which is my favorite thing by the way alex is you talk about create yeah. create rather than disrupt we're so used to hearing about companies <laughs> or, or individuals be disruptors you say create, create rather than disrupt. So tell me more about that. Yeah, I, you know, I think the word disruption has become one of the least understood words in, mm -hmm. uh, in the innovation lexicon. It, you know, it, it has this, this appeal to us, right? It comes from research uh, by Clayton Christensen, not, not in the software industry, but instead actually um, in the steel industry where he was, mm -hmm. Uh, describing these big integrated steel mills being disrupted by these small little mini mills that were ignoring customers. And so modern day David and Goliath story of the small nimble player that's able to better serve customers and vanquish the, uh, the, the stodgy opponent. And that narrative has come to define um, what problems entrepreneurs look to solve and how we think about what the purpose of innovation is. And it is to find industries that have something that exists already that is poorly served and disrupt it with a new technology and a new attitude. Um, and, and that's where all of our entrepreneurial energy exists. But around the world, the best entrepreneurs take a different attitude. They take an attitude of creating. They look to problems where there is no existing solution to a big mass market problem. They are offering products and services targeted specifically at the mass market, not starting at the top of the pyramid, uh, but really solutions for everyone. And they're often building these platforms. They are the shoulders of, of giants upon which others build. Mm. And this isn't just a semantic difference, Marty. This is actually a question of what is getting built. In Silicon Valley, less than 20% of unicorns of the, bill, the billion dollar businesses are in industries like agriculture or energy or education or healthcare or even financial services. But in emerging markets, the numbers are flipped. In Sub-Saharan Africa, for instance, it's way over 60% in those same industries among the biggest companies. And mm -hmm. so really the focus of what is getting built are creating new industries for everyone and really solving important big problems. That is, to me, the promise of innovation and being realized outside the valley. You said in your response to that question, you talked about the mass market. Um, 
I'm going to go off script immediately. <laughs> so, so um, the innovators that you're talking about typically um, make sure I'm right on this. They go after a mass market initially. They, that's what their goal is, I believe, is what you talk about in the book, as opposed to potentially a small niche like you might be out of Silicon Valley. Am I accurate there? Yeah. Like, let me tell you a story. Uh, I opened the book with the story of uh, uh, Xavier, who's the founder of a company called uh, Zola. And you know, there's about 1.2 billion people around the world that have no access to power. That means no lights when the sun goes down. That means no cell phone charging. That means no TV. That means no electricity whatsoever. Um, that doesn't mean that they don't have a need for light. You know, a lot of the people are, are burning kerosene, literally jet fuel to light their homes. Um, there are solutions out there, right? You could buy a couple of solar panels, a, a cell phone battery, uh, a, a battery system, some li- high efficiency lights. The problem is most people can't afford the few hundred dollars that it costs for that uh, when they are um, unelectrified. And so what Zola, this business does, is they have created a model that can offer people a modern home lighting system, uh, but it's pay as you go. So you pay a little bit every day, every week, every month, essentially in the same pattern that you were already, that these customers were already buying kerosene. This solution works because they're able to combine solar, uh, advances in solar and battery with the advances in mobile banking that all of a sudden people could pay using cell phones with um, an ability to provide credit bundled into the product, a loan built into the product. And they bundled these three things together to be able to offer a product. And this product was not for the richest people in Tanzania, that's where the first market, but really for everyone. And that was really the the, the model. And, and and that's the kind of businesses that I'm, I'm talking about uh, yeah. a lot in the book. Yeah, fascinating. Um, my guest is Alex Lazaro. His last name is spelled L-A-Z-A-R-O-W. His book is Out Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit are Rewriting the Rules of Silicon Valley. Um, your website, Alex, is that the best place for people to learn more about you? Tell us uh, where that is. Yeah, it's uh, alexlazaro.com, A-L-E-X-L-A-Z-A-R-O-W.com. And I also host a, a newsletter where I talk about innovation uh, around the world, and, and you can sign up there as well. Yeah, I have it in front of me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really good. Fundraising milestones, trends and musings for frontier innovators. <laughs> Alex, are you impressed? Huh? Um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, love, I love that you're that you've got all the bases covered and read read it all. <laughs> hey, Dan Kimbrough, producer, would you make a note of that? That uh, he was very impressed. <laughs> make a note of that for us, will you? All right. So, staying with Alex's book, um, and we're talking about ten elements of frontier innovators. We're not going to get through all ten, so I'm going to pick a couple more that I find very interesting. Um, they're all interesting. Um, talk to me about raise a camel built for <laughs> sustainability and resilience. Let me repeat that. Raise a camel built for sustainability and resilience. Tell me more, Alex. Well, your listeners are probably asking, why did I choose to talk about an animal in my book? Um, <laughs> but but you know, the, re- the reason is, is in the valley, there's this obsession with the unicorn where the unicorn represents one. It has a very strict literal meaning. It means a business that's worth over a billion dollars. But it is also a manifestation of the philosophy of how you build startups. And if that's the philosophy is build it, raising a unicorn, the method is growth at any cost, where it's okay to have unsustainable unit economics in service of growth, where it's okay to 
burn a lot of money in service of growth, where it's okay to take a short-term approach to your business model in service of growth. Outside of outside of, um, of Silicon Valley, that approach doesn't work. And that's why I talk about raising a camel instead. Camels are animals that can survive in the world's harshest environments around the world. Um, and so when times are bad, they can survive. But when times are good, the camel is one of the animals that can drink faster than anything else in the world. It can sprint across the desert when, when opportunity is rife. And so it can also grow as a startup uh, when it makes sense to and grow really, really quickly. And so camel startups are businesses that build with sustainability and resiliency from the get-go in mind. I interviewed um, the founders of Grubhub, um, the food delivery startup that was started in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I talked to Mike Evans, the COO. You know, it was really amazing to me because I always – I often think of on-demand delivery as this uh, sector that is profligate of venture capital money. DoorDash raised $1.5 billion. Um, and, you know, Grubhub raised a paltry $80 million um, in its journey. And uh, Mike talked a lot about how at every single fundraise, they were sustainable. And they mm -hmm. raised a very specific purpose to expand to another city or to do a small acquisition or what have you. And when I asked Mike, what, you know, why don't you raise a little bit more money and go a little bit faster? It took him about 10 years to IPO. He said, look, I could have done it in two years less, but I would have done so at tremendously more risk. And that's what I'm talking about in the book about building a camel is building a business that's built for the long haul and that is built for long-term success and strong risk-adjusted outcomes. I fear that when you look at the stories of Silicon Valley, you say, wow, this business grew so fast it got to this outcome that we then look at the method at how they did it. If you play back that story a hundred times, I'm not sure you get that result that many times. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I believe with this camel approach of using balanced growth, of infusing sustainability and resilience, you are more likely to get that outcome every time. And so I think it's a much more repeatable message on how to build startups for founders around the world, particularly when you're operating in tougher ecosystems. Yeah, I was I was thinking I was reading the book, and as I was listening to you, I'm also thinking that that they become more resilient because they have so many of these uh, entrepreneurs you've talked about simply have a lack of resources, mm -hmm. and, and they have to be creators, I suppose, in a way, and and they do, and and they 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 that's the way they think, and that's the way they act. Is it okay to say that that way, Alex? You know, Marty, I actually think um, I actually think that's a really interesting insight in the book, um, which is in many ways. I think operators, entrepreneurs in these tougher ecosystems are operating, are existing in ecosystems of adversity. And count, you know, that's the opposite of the valley of an ecosystem of, of abundance. But through that adversity, I believe that entrepreneurs are ending up turning those into advantages that give them the opportunity to build more enduring businesses. The fact they have less camera forces them, capital forces them to build camels and mm -hmm. build more building businesses, and that ends up turning into an advantage. The yeah. fact that there are less industries to disrupt forces them to become creators, but they end up not only having a lot of impact, but really tackling a really big, meaty market that allows them to build enduring long-term companies. That are oftentimes international companies, <laughs> humble beginnings, but turn out to be international companies with incredible uh, business models. So, a couple more points here. Um, you talk about cross-pollinate, and that's connect ideas and networks from around the world. Be born global. Target the world from day one. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Tell me more about establish a distributed team. Wow. Tap, tap talent from across the globe. I think this is so important. Talk to me about that. 
Yeah, well, and it's interesting because um, this is another example of turning adversity into an advantage. You know, if you were a startup, you know, if I was an entrepreneur operating in Winnipeg in my hometown and I was hiring a CMO or whoever, there aren't 500 people that have scaled marketing at a, a startup in Winnipeg. There might not be 50 and there may be five um, and they might already be working for my competitors. And so um, as a natural strategy, entrepreneurs look to build and recruit talent teams outside of their core location. They build distributed teams, leveraging the best talent wherever those people exist. And, um, you know, when I wrote the book, the context was different, right? We're, we're recording this in the middle of the COVID crisis. Uh, but when I wrote the book, conventional wisdom was, you know, you move your team to Silicon Valley, you build your team in Silicon Valley, and, um, and that's where you do it. Um, and yet around the world, the best entrepreneurs are building these distributed teams um, out of necessity, but building best practice around it. And now the whole world has shifted to world of being mm. distributed. It is now required best practice. Well, guess what? People have known how to do this. Mm -hmm. Are um, people that have been operating in that context all along? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so I actually think this trend of distributed is is obviously you know a zeitgeist in how to build startups at this exact moment because you have to. Everyone has to. Um, but actually, I think it's a long term trend that's going to persist um, in some meaningful ways going forward as well. And, and why not? I mean, there's international talent that's out there that's looking to contribute in different ways. Why not tap into that? You don't have to stay within your geographical boundaries. Uh, you know, you don't have to. Why should you? I mean, tap into that network of talent all over the world. They, they want to be part of, uh, of these growth companies. And uh, why not? I say so. Well, and, and, and by the way, I actually think there's three specific reasons why it actually makes sense. It's, it's not even a why not, it's why. Um, and one is tapping talent. And it isn't just being free to tap the talent wherever it is. There are certain pockets of the world that have specializations around particular things that you can leverage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, notably, for instance, um, in Toronto and Montreal, for instance, there's very, very strong depth of AI and machine learning data scientists, for instance. Right. Um, a lot of businesses are building in Salt Lake City their customer services teams because they find that there's a really strong strength um, there for uh, B2B customer service. Um, different places have different strengths. Second, obviously, you can manage costs by, by tapping lower, lower, uh, lower cost places. But I think third, um, an underappreciated reason to do this is that it builds a muscle in your team. If you know how to build a distributed team, you know how to manage a culture across different geographies to um, treat people based on the output of their work, not based on the perceptions of what they look like. You can actually build a muscle to build an international business and you alluded to it a second ago, um, Marty, a lot of these businesses are building born global. They're operating in mm -hmm. ecosystems around the world that are smaller. They don't have the benefit of existing in the U.S. and having a you know, multi-trillion dollar economy to target. You know, they're building in smaller countries and they have to build multi-market from the get-go to be able to scale a large business. And one of the ways they can develop that model is also building a distributed team because that builds that strength, that muscle to be able to do that properly. I think some of us may be still stuck in the mindset that you have to pull talent from people you know that live two miles from you. That's that's a fallacy. Get over that, boys and girls. Um, you know, there's, there's talent all over the world that you can tap into, and so take advantage of it. Um, again, we can't cover everything, but uh, the last one I want to talk about in, in terms of the ten, 10 elements of frontier innovators, because I think this is a very important one. They all are, of course. You talk about reinvent finance, yeah. develop new venture models for tougher ecosystems. 
Tell me more. Yeah, so um, this is one of the areas where I think it is still very nascent, but I think that the next 10, 15 years, we'll see some really exciting developments. Um, so first of all, how does the venture capital model work today? I, I often ask my students, I say, where do you think that idea originated from? And they'll often say, you know, it probably came from Silicon Valley. The history is much older. Um, the VC model itself was adapted from a completely different industry, the whaling industry, which that financing method really unlocked the industry. There was one town uh, that had 70% of the US market, which itself had 70% of the world market, driven by the fact that they had a way to finance very risky businesses. In this case, these boats got lost at sea uh, quite a lot and d distribute risk. Um, and that model was adapted to venture quite successfully in, in the US. But today the venture model um, is globalizing and by necessity there's 480 startup ecosystems around the world. There's over a million uh, startups and the needs of those entrepreneurs in these different ecosystems will look different. And so this, this cut and dry single model will also need to get adapted. And so a couple areas where I'm seeing some changes and I'm excited to see how this evolves over time are one, the types of ways that we invest in startups. So it used to be, um, you know, in the Valley is traditionally investing in equity, preferred equity in the business. We're seeing some experiments around revenue shares where instead of uh, buying equity, you're actually buying a share of the revenue. That looks like another funding mechanism in another risky industry, mining and the royalty business. Mm -hmm. We're seeing evolutions in how funds are structured instead of having these 10-year funds um, to match the longer-term horizons of building camels. Uh, funds are experimenting with longer-term funds or even evergreens, which never expire. Um, we're also seeing an evolution in who the players are. Um, in supporting these funds and, and the rise of corporate funds and other things. So we're seeing a bunch of these changes in how the venture model and who is funding the, the, the ventures and in, in how they're making decisions evolving. And I believe that that's going to be a big trend that will continue. That has to continue because, you know, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are the customers. As a VC, you know, I need to make sure that I'm serving the entrepreneurs I work with in the best way I can. The tail cannot wag the dog. It cannot be my mo the VC model that dictates how entrepreneurs build their business. It has to be the other way around. And, and that's why I think this is so critical. Let me repeat something. Entrepreneurs are the customers. And uh, what a great insight. You know, so many times entrepreneurs are overly humble and forget that. Um, you know, uh, so let's... Uh, Let's move on. Um, so I am speaking with Alex Lazaro. You can go to his website, alexlazaro.com, L-A-Z-A-R-O-W, alexlazaro.com. Uh, his book is Out Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit are Rewriting the Rules of Silicon Valley. You're hearing this discussion. You're hearing some great insights. So, Alex, we can't, uh, you mentioned COVID-19 uh, and the pandemic earlier and how that's changing things, but uh, let's spend a minute or two on uh, what couple of the things you see have changed and maybe some things that haven't changed regardless of COVID-19. Yeah, well, I, and I think this is, this, is a, um, this is a really good example about how, you know, when I, when I started writing the book, I was reacting against all of this best practice rooted in this ecosystem of abundance, when I was observing the best entrepreneurs around the world were operating in different degrees of adversity. And what has happened is now the whole world has shifted to adversity. And so a lot of the lessons in the book are in many ways more relevant than ever. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, 
entrepreneurs everywhere are thinking about how do I build a business with sustainability and resiliency mm-hmm. into the business model? How do I build a camel? And it turns out that the best role models for that are around uh, the emerging markets or an emerging startup ecosystem in developed countries. And we have an opportunity to learn from them. Similarly, everyone's forced to build remote. And there again, the best practices is, is uh, coming from everywhere. So one of the big shifts that's happened out of COVID is that we are all of a sudden by necessity having to look and learn from how to build startups, um, out, how startups have been built outside the valley. But the second thing that I think, and this is also a hope, is COVID-19 has shown a spotlight. It hasn't shown us anything new in terms of the problems we have. It's shown a spotlight on the problems that existed already. Let me, be, let me explain. There's 60 million Americans that are unbanked or underbanked. That's not a new problem. But COVID-19 has shown a light on that because all of a sudden we need to figure out how do we give government benefits to people that don't have bank accounts or don't have access to formal financial services. There's 85 million Americans that don't have access to sufficient health care. Same story. We've shown a light on that challenge through this crisis. And my hope is that this will be an opportunity for us to change the way we think about the problems we are going to solve through innovation and entrepreneurship. And that hopefully that's just a dialogue towards being creators rather than disruptors and thinking about these uh, intractable problems as opportunities that we can solve through business model and technological innovation. That's my hope of what comes out of COVID-19. I expect it will. Um, health worldwide will be dealt with. Uh, climate change worldwide will be dealt with in, in uh, creative ways. Uh, and I'm confident that it will. So other than your own book, <laughs> Alex, what are you reading? Let me put you on the spot. What, uh, what are you reading and what would you suggest other than your own book that we might read to uh, stay on this uh, kind of information? So happily, I um, I have put together a little bit of a library of books that I think are relevant um, in my in my newsletters. Every month, I review one book that I think is really interesting and teaches us something. And I, I put them all actually on on my website um, in case you're interested. Um, but what I'm what I'm reading now um, at this exact moment, uh, I just started Brad Feld's new book uh, around uh, startup communities. And his work around building outside Silicon Valley, which I think is uh, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, in the health space, a book I have just finished that I think has been fascinated was fascinating was the Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee um, around the history of our understanding of genetics and how much that is an evolving field. And so those are two books that I've that, that I am starting slash just finished uh, that, that perhaps your readers will will enjoy. So we can find your library on your website, alexlazaro.com? Exactly. And we can subscribe to your newsletter there also? Exactly. And you, you can find a link to, link to the book. And the book's available anywhere where books are sold. You know, as we're navigating this crisis, I, I would encourage you to consider buying from your local bookstore or small business uh, to support them, uh, them as well. But, but it's obviously available anywhere, anywhere books are sold. Spoken like a true entrepreneur. Buy locally when possible, but think globally. Alex Lazaro, what a fascinating book. What a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for being part of the Business Builder Show. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Find all our shows and many other great podcasts at businessbuildersmedia.com. That's businessbuildersmedia.com.